Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Right, here we go. Let's fucking do some podcasting. Let's get the fuck out of here. Let's do it. Hello and welcome to this. It is the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously, but we do take these scheduling issues very seriously, don't we, Phil? Uh, very, very, very seriously. Uh, and as you might be able to tell, that is Phil, and I'm only with Phil today because Tim is missing in action. Well, Tim is Tim is being incredibly professional and actually attending the games, I think. Um, to, to give him his, his dues. He's dragging, he is single-handedly dragging that enormous Egg Chasers branded shipping container around the south of France from game to game to game. Selflessly. Selflessly. Not doing unspeakable things. Not in pool parties with Swedish girls. Not doing those things. Abs- if I, I know, wish he was. If I know Tim Cocker, he is absolutely not doing those things. Why is it always turning into a Swedish pool party when Tim Cocker's involved? <laughs> That's what I want to know. <laughs> Well, it doesn't. Uh, if only it did. <laughs> if only it did. If only it did. Uh, right. So, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about England because I want Tim's input on the rest of the weekend. So we've watched England. It's fresh in our mind. And we'll come back to maybe, maybe we'll talk a bit about Fiji, but we'll come back to the rest of the week's games tomorrow, well, maybe. Well, there's been so much since we last podcasted. We, I feel like we did 100 podcasts in... Uh, four days. Yep. And then it's been 100 days since we last podcasted. Because since we last podcasted, we had the epic battle that was France's second team versus Uruguay. Oh, God, we did, didn't we? And they did really well. We did. That was a great game. That was legitimately a great game. Uh, And I love Uruguay. Absolutely love Uruguay. They're a handsome bunch of fellows, aren't they? Handsome bunch of powerful and dominant fellows. They're not bad at rugby. They're not bad at rugby. So we had that on Thursday night. We had uh, New Zealand waltz and walk through Namibia on Friday night, which was a bit of a non-event, 71-3. We then had some interesting games on Saturday. Samoa, in the end, comfortably beat Chile, but it was interesting until half-time. Wales snuck past Portugal. Portugal, who... When they scored that try, that was a highlight of the weekend, actually, when yeah. Portugal scored that lovely little line-out move try against Wales. Uh, Ireland comfortably beat Tonga. South Africa today hammered Romania. Romania and Namibia are like the fall guys of this I World agree Cup. with that. So, 
Back in the day, everyone was rubbish except for the top teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody was rubbish. I mean, yeah, they just were. And then a few teams started getting getting good. Georgia, um, Japan. But I do genuinely think that the mi- the minor nations now, the emerging nations, I don't know if World Rugby deserved the credit for it or if the unions deserved the credit for it or if the backers of the local clubs deserved credit. Someone deserves credit for something. Because Portugal were mighty competitive. Uruguay have been a breath of fresh air, as have Chile. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. What more can you say? Japan played beautiful rugby today. They did. They lost, but they did not look out of place against a tier one nation at all. There, there's a lot to take out of this. I'm still not quite sure how we paint. Maybe at the end of the, the tournament, we'll really understand how we can paint this tier two upward curve narrative. But... There is a lot to be positive about yeah. around those tier two nations, and nothing more than tier one versus tier two, quarter to five today, Australia versus Fiji, oh. and and the the tier two, the underdogs. Although, if anyone's been paying attention and anyone understands what Fiji, the arc that Fiji have been on, it's not really the underdogs, but the tier one versus tier two, Fiji, well, Fiji challenges Fiji all. win. Somewhat unique, aren't they, to compared to the other nations? So, like Chile and say Uruguay are a self-sustaining nation of many millions of people. I think Fiji is like one point five million, and it's not exactly a prosperous nation, to put it mildly. And it has no future, probably being a prosperous nation. It's going to be Fiji for you know, as long as it is, because just the demographics and geography and 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 all the rest of it. Fiji's problem has always been twofold: a, all of its players leave; b they still can't get home games. And let's put uh, another one in there. Their players could never play together for an extended period of time. Well, now they can because of Fiji Drua. And that is a huge difference. A huge difference. And it's a massive boost for the game. For Fiji to get their players, even if it's half of their players, even if it's 30, 40% of their players, together for a significant period of time and then um, bolster it by having... Uh, Naisa Levu and Joshua Tuasova and Semi Radrandra and Levani Bottia and all of those stars come in from Europe to bolster what is already a good and cohesive uh, Fiji Jura team. Yes, exactly. It's, exactly. It's ace. And it was like, I like, I do like this um, Australia team. I've, I've always had a soft spot for Eddie Jones. I've always liked what he's tried to do. And I really like the way that he has kind of ripped up the rule book and tried to restart things with, with Australia with maybe half a mind on everything in four years' time. Yep. Uh, knowing he's got a free hit this time out because he came in so late. But with all that said, I still want Fiji to win. And I still, I still love, I love seeing a tier one nation, particularly Australia, being taken. Particularly Australia, particularly Australia, being taken down by this amazing Fiji team, and it was a a well earned, totally, totally deserved win by Fiji. Yeah. Now, anybody who tells you in the morning something like, "Isn't that Fiji and Flair amazing?" Tell them shut up because they don't, don't know what they're talking about. They didn't see this game. That was a masterclass in ta- in tactical awareness and strategic planning. It was really, really smart rugby that, that won that game. Completely agree. Completely agree. And the same, if you watched 
the uh, Samoa Chile game, which yep. was a bit of an arm wrestle in the first half. Probably should have been twelve ten at half time, but Samoa won that by their line out and driving more. Yeah, no, that 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 was why they won that game. This is what I said. It, was, it wasn't running in fifty meter tries and slinging it from wing to wing. It was by controlling the, the territory, controlling the game plan, and a great driving mall. So, I don't want to blow my own horn, uh, but I will, just this once. <laughs> just, just on this me one out. occasion, me I, out, Phil. I have never heard you do this before, no, JB, no, so no. please, so on this, I want, make the most of it on this one occasion. I, yeah, I'll break my own rule. Let's not talk about myself too much. <laughs> but I said it before, and I still think this is, a, this is the thing. Tonga, Samoa, not Fiji, but Tonga and Samoa, the benefit they'll get from lads with high-level experience. Mm. I mean, they've always had precocious talent. They've always had guys that are exceptional rugby players. And, the and they've, always, time, they've always had some enormous boys as yes. well. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not like they've lacked size previously. Size, strength, all that stuff, yeah. they've got in abundance. They've got all the rare things. But what they didn't have was just that nous which you get from playing 100 caps of rugby or whatever it may be. I don't think anyone actually does have 100 caps who's coming to their team. But they do have boys that have been there and walked the walk on the biggest stage with some of the biggest teams. And then you just say, hey, calm down. Don't throw it coast to coast. Let's go for a line-out. Let's execute the line-out properly. Here's what works. Here's what doesn't work. This is what winning international test rugby is like. And that makes a difference. Makes a huge difference. Well, Samoa, in that first half, when they tried to spread it wide and when they tried to play, Chile just said... Okay, yeah, like, we we can we, we can do that. this. Ayatza and uh, Rodrigo Fernandez, the fifteen and the ten yeah. for Chile, they love broken field play. Yeah. They absolutely eat up broken field play. What they don't like is kick for the corner, driving mall with with a pack that I think the uh, Samoan pack was maybe fifty or sixty kilograms heavier than the Chilean pack. Really. Therefore, Jesus therefore, Christ! Like, don't play coast to coast when you've got that advantage. Just kick it in the corner and and roll. And they yeah. scored three tries relatively early on and in the I second think half by doing precisely that. It does that. show you a kind of like a microcosm, I guess, if that's the right word for it, of how rugby has developed into the game it is. Because you have these great teams like Chile. I think Chile are a great team. They're a lovely team. A, and a they great want to team play to rugby. Watch. So yeah. the, the skills there. So when anyone tells you, oh, rugby's a game of skills, to a degree, to a degree. But as like Samoa showed, skills plus organisation. And that's why we get the tier one teams that we get today because everybody's got skills. They're not rare. Everyone says they're rare. They're not rare. Okay. Organisation, cohesion is rare. You know, brute strength is rare. And then managing to kind of corral that and make sure it all functions as one, that's rare. And that's where rugby is now. So, yeah, we've always had these talented teams. And now Samoa, hopefully Tonga will sort of follow. But they, who did they play last? Well, they, they played Ireland this weekend. Yeah, it didn't go well. Which, I mean, I, I guess I made the point uh, last week, which was, yes, Tonga have got some exceptional talent. They've got some enormous blokes. They've got some exceptional talent. But if one thing, based on when we saw them in Spain last year, if one thing they lacked, it is cohesion. Yeah. And they were coming up against just about the most cohesive yeah. uh, team in world rugby. Ireland are exactly. And it showed. The, maybe not maybe not the pinnacle, but like the top two and a half teams in the world. 
And they're, and they're the antidote to that, like, like that's exactly right. The antidote to size and skill is the cohesion of Ireland. Yeah, 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 absolutely right. So, um, pretty cool to see the emerging nations. Tim Cocker doesn't like us calling them the tier twos. Uh, the emerging nations do, do so well. The, the Portuguese. This is for a second here. Wow, we are bouncing around. I'll take it. I'll t- Tim, Tim would have us like in this. No, we'll focus. do what we want. We'll do yeah, what we want because yeah. it makes a far more co- interesting Please. conversation then. Let's bounce around. Yeah, let, let's bounce around. A far more interesting conversation then. Just uh, this is what people want to hear. Well, I'm, I'm. Tell them what they want to hear. I'm eight beers deep at this point, so I will Perfect. bounce around all night. That's what she said. So <laughs> let's crack on. <laughs> yeah, the port, uh, the Portuguese. Just let's talk about that red that, that red card just for one oh. second. I mean, what? A world would be hoping to achieve here. Ugh. What is anyone hoping to achieve with that? So, uh, right, we will see because there'll be a disciplinary, there'll be a, a committee in either tomorrow or on Tuesday. Uh, the Ethan de Groot one has been called for Monday. Of course, because Ethan de Groot got a red card. Yeah. So on that one, I'm kind of hopeful that it does get called as just an accident. Uh, uh, even a yellow card is sufficient, therefore nothing more. This this boy does not need to be banned anymore. Because I'm I'm kind of for the old... If someone has done something wrong that people can learn from, let's try and shut that out. Whether whether that's a viable technique, whether it actually works or not, like I'm, I'm kind of for, let's try and stop that. This is not something... This is not an issue that people can learn from. Nope. Like... People should not be going, like, jumping into catch a ball with a leg extended out to kick someone in the face. That's not what happened here. A, a player, the Portuguese winger, if you've not seen it, the Portuguese winger jumps up in the air to try and catch the ball. He mistimes his jump, ends up leaning backwards, and his uh, leading leg kicks out in front of him to try and stabilise himself, to stop him from falling on his back, from hurting himself. It catches Josh Adams in the face, Probably hurts Josh Adams, but there is no, there's no real learning outcome for no. him or anyone else watching this, other than time your jump better, which everyone knows, just, just and everyone's trying to, yeah. everyone's trying to do, everyone is trying to time their it's, jump better anyway. It's as stupid as giving yellow cards. Here's how stupid it is. It's as stupid as giving yellow cards for knock on. Nobody means to knock it on. <laughs> it's exactly the same principle. Like. Oh, well, just coach better. Oh, just co- I mean, the people that say that are thick. I mean, they're so, so stupid. We're at a stage now with rugby where the authorities need to realise that the game is not about them. It's about the players that play it and the people that watch it. And the people that are watching it who have a view into rugby for the first time in a long time. A lot of people watching this World Cup have gone off rugby and they're returning mm. to the game. And they're looking at this and thinking, what am I watching? Why is that even a penalty? Let alone these cards. Well, that... that so that... I think this highlights a problem with the bunker, which I is a problem with rugby. With world well, rugby. It, people it, that run it, it are does, not good at running sport. But there's so with the bunker in particular, and this is a uh, every maybe not quite everyone, but the majority of people. When you said, "Oh yeah, the bunker's going to be involved in the World Cup," with almost no preparation and no trial beforehand, mm. most people are like, "Oh yeah, that's a good thing because it means the referee." They can make their quick decisions, and then the decisions are taken off them. The game flows. It's all for the good of the game. But what what people have forgotten 
or didn't realise, and this is like law of unintended consequences, which when you don't play something out before it actually happens, you don't get to see the unintended consequences. We're seeing the unintended consequences live during a World Cup, which is not a good place to learn this. Exactly. Any organiser of any big event will say, you've got to have trial runs first. In fact, I'm pretty sure if you open a stadium, don't you need to do it like 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, yeah, 40,000? Yeah. You have to build up to like uh, the equivalent of match day events. Yeah. Because you learn th- every time you do this. But we've not learned anything we just jumped right in yeah. with a bunker so we're seeing but it's not just the execution of the laws is it it's the it's the mindset behind them well it's people behind desks who are trying to regulate a high collision high kinetic game and just they just don't understand it from what i can tell they do not understand it and to make it worse they then weaponize the opinions of people that do understand it with fake science, and it's it's just... Well, we can see... You know, don't tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. Me, personally, because that's what people say. When you're watching it on TV, and people who've watched the game their entire lives are watching it on TV, and going, what on earth is that? Well, we've got... Particularly with the bunker, we've got at least, at least a couple of problems. And I'm sure when I've had fewer beers, uh, and I'm thinking more, more clearly, there will be more problems that come out from this. But there's at least a couple. So... Problem number one is the referees who are refereeing in the World Cup are at the pinnacle of their career. Yeah. Like you've got a big hierarchy and a big uh, process behind that to become the best referee in the world. Not the best TMO, not the best touch judge, but the best referee. Yeah. And behind them are the touch judges and behind them are the fourth officials and behind them are the TMOs. And so... By having the bunker, you are discharging the decisions from those people who are uh, the best according to the hierarchy, whether they are definitively the best or not, but they're the best according to the hierarchy that's been set up. And generally, that's probably a good thing. You're discharging those decisions from the best according to the hierarchy to not the best people. By definition. By, By absolute definition. And then you've got this second order problem, which is... And it's it's along those lines, but the referees, as soon as they see something that like superficially meets the red card threshold, they just discharge that decision. And what I mean is, like that that um, Portuguese winger mistiming his jump, therefore kicking Josh Adam in the face, or a similar decision that was just before the World Cup was the Peter Stefter toy yellow card mm-hmm. in the All Blacks South Africa game. Both of those, superficially, on the face of it, if you don't think too hard, they meet the, the yellow card threshold. Yep. But if you actually think hard about it, and you're a top-class referee, and uh, I'm going to hate saying this phrase because it's a phrase Tim loves, and I don't really like... Uh, because I think it was it cuts both ways and it's a bad phrase, but if you had a little bit of empathy for the person who committed the offence, and I know the risk of doing that... Well, there's there's a lot of evidence that suggests showing empathy is not a good it's thing. It's not a, generally... It's not a, a good fr- thing. It's a phrase I dislike, but if you actually put yourself in the body of the offence committer, which generally I really, really dislike, but I think on both the Portuguese winger and the Peter Stefter toy incident it actually plays to my point um 
you can see that there is no learning outcome on both of those. Actually, not only should it not have been a red card, it also arguably shouldn't have been a yellow card. Both of those should have been rugby incidents and play on. But because the referee, the most qualified person in the incident, has not had to think too hard because the thinking has been taken away to them and discharged Mm. to someone of a lower calibre than them, the decision gets made to upgrade... uh, Well, one got upgraded to a red card and one stayed as a yellow card, even though it actually shouldn't have even been a yellow card. I'm not going to lie. I do find the conversation around the process of decision-making unbelievably boring but i i love it so, like I'm, I'm happy to have those conversations so let me just pose this question to you then, go on okay? and then we must get off this because i mean <laughs> I, yeah we just must but would you accept the argument then that the skill of a referee is the implementation of the game in real time around the nuts and bolts decisions like the ruck and the very dynamic small but less in, less consequential decisions which keep the game flowing rather than the big decisions which are obvious and can be outsourced to a inferior official. So once upon a time, I would have said, no, give me the right decision every time, regardless of how long that takes. I am so I am totally on the other end of the spectrum now. I am totally... If you ask me now, given the way that the game has gone, I would say, m- make a referee decide everything absolutely everything yeah apart from maybe apart from maybe like the the last scoring motion of a try like the Johnny Williams try yeah, today yeah, yeah. like where it's it's a knock on over the line yep the last half a second of real time but other than that decide absolutely everything in real time right or wrong mhm but everyone knows it's right. Everyone knows it's going to be decided in real time. Yeah. Don't give me this halfway house of certain things are going to be decided in real time, and then never looked at, yeah. upon again. And I'll tell you why. This and isn't... certain things are gone through. Like sixty uh, percent of the stuff is decided in real time, and forty percent of the stuff is gone through minute frame by frame detail. That is a not. It's yeah, just it is. The, uh, because if you but so if you have only a referee in charge, as in in your. Mm. Example, what you tend to have, like in the olden days, are certain laws which will be prioritised by the ref because you can't see everything. Mm. So you'll have a situation where there'll be multiple infringements, but as long as the law that the ref isn't looking for is not infringed, then play on. There's a very famous clip, isn't there, of Wales, South Africa, penalties, who knows which way, uh, after five or six <laughs> infringements, but the referee Everyone's just, diving off yeah, their feet on a rook. The referee is looking at something else, right? Yeah. So your point... To come to your point, you do have that situation, don't you, where the referee is only looking to enforce the things he wants outside of a scope of politically important things which World Rugby want in, in enforcing and they go to the bunker. And it's just basically the expression of World Rugby politics uh, by rugby laws. That's that's all it is. Some things don't matter, some, some things do. Well, I'll tell you one really refreshing thing that I thought I would have hated but I actually loved was in the... F- it was definitely the first game, maybe the first and second game. They didn't really show replays of tries. Certainly not replays of tries that could have contradicted this try being scored. Yeah. And the great example was the, I think it was the second Talea try in the France 
uh, New Zealand game, which was a clear forward pass. Mm. And they never showed a replay of it. No, they did not, did they? Which was astonishing, given that it was a French uh, television crew. I can't believe it. But like, if that is the standard that we're going to set, that we are not really going to scrutinise things that... Uh, sh- in the heat of the moment, they looked amazing. Therefore, we're not really going to scrutinise it because it, it looks amazing to the to the cameras and a point that you made. You made this point years and years ago, but I think it's a, I think it's not the worst standard to hold us to. If there was a twelve year old boy on the sideline and he's yes. excited, do we do we go back and disappoint that twelve year old boy? Maybe not. Like, it, maybe, like if that is going to be the standard, it's consistently held. I'm okay. I'm actually. I I never thought I'd say this. I'm actually okay with that. Yeah. I'm fine with that. The problem we've got Put 12-year-old boys in the bunker, uh, link them up to heart monitors, yeah, yeah. Uh, la- uh, laughometers, you know, uh, make sure that they're engaged. If they're enjoying it, just play on, boys. Yeah. Now, there's no point in saying we're going to engage kids by giving them, I don't know, balls with graffiti writing and a- adding extra Zs to the word hits or you know, whatever the RFU were trying this week. Just show them men colliding with other men. See if they enjoy it. I bet they do. But what we've got is this position where occasionally we'll get that namely that uh, I think it was the second to lay a try but time after time again and this weekend has been uh, just as bad as any other that I can remember where a player scores notably that Johnny Williams try as an example and there's dozens of other dozens of others Johnny Williams scores a try everyone celebrates but uh, just as the kicker just as uh, Anscombe or whoever it was is lining up the kick, Halfpenny in that instance, is lining up the kick, um, we get called back because someone has not spotted a knock-on over the line that happened within a fraction of a second. And like, yes, it was the right outcome, but how much is lost? And like we've, we've got, I've spoken to friends this weekend who watch football and hate the way that VAR's gone with football. But see, rugby is an even worse example where you never know until until the the subsequent kickoff from a try, you don't know whether the points are actually going to be awarded and you whether yeah. you can actually relax and breathe breathe a sigh of relief relief because the team you want to score has actually scored, and that is not a good position to be in. No, no, I completely agree with all of that. Um, now. I will just add something else to the red card debate before we go, mm, which is I do please. think you're going to end up with a situation when you play your first team only for big games because everyone's worried about the injury risk, but I actually think the red card risk is now more substantial than the injury risk. And this just should not be a reason not to pick your best players. You know, Ethan De Groot is out of the World Cup, for example. I mean, he's not out of the World Cup, but he could miss some important games and that results in... He's going to be out of the World Cup. You know, Owen Farrell is not eligible to play at the moment. Tom Curry is not eligible to play at the moment. Billy Van has just come back. Uh, the list goes on. Does it go on? It, it might not go on. Um, but, you know... That you, might be it. That, that might be it. But these are big names. You know, it's not a joke. It's not a joke. People pay a lot of money to come and see the best players play. And to have so many of them banned for offences that people can't actually work out why... Um, seems ridiculous. Like, when when you're nearly at one-third third of an international team, you're going to have to really really consider your point. Because I get holding your players back for, for injury, but to make decisions based on potential red cards, 
Because I'm sure the red card risk is higher than the injury risk at the moment. <laughs> it's probably not far off. Yeah, so, you know, it's just a, the whole thing's an absolute nonsense. I, now, I, I personally don't mind the red cards. Like, I, I'm, I'm okay with yellow and red cards. Uh, I don't, to, to take your point from previously, I don't even necessarily think it's going to change behaviours, but I'm okay with the principle on the principle of, well, we must get, like, people need to tackle lower or we need to change behaviours. I'm okay with using that as a tool. What, where my problem is... Change behaviour is the word of a moron. Well, Anyone who says that, that phrase to well, me instantly has the IQ of, like, an Alsatian. Well, let, let, instantly. Let's that, just, a whole phrase is fucking let, morons. Let's just say, rather than change behaviours, let's just say... They're fucking morons. In, let's, They're just just say, let's just say incentivise. Let's say incentivise players to, to do something different. Yeah. Oh, whether whether it do, whether it does or not. But where now, where where I where I go where I struggle is let's say there was two tackles on Thursday no, and Friday. Let's not take any more tackles and move on. Are you Yeah, I not, not to be Tim Cock about this. Let's move on. Well, because I do not want to talk about any more disciplinary nonsense. Well you've got the Telfi Fanua on uh Thursday night okay, and uh, the Ethan de, continue. Ethan de Groot. And I I'm not gonna leave this point. Those two for me are broadly the same tackles. One gets given a yellow card, one gets given a red card. I can't quite see. And this is the same point as Tom Curry, the Chilean player on the Japanese player, the uh, Jesse yeah. Creel on Jack Dempsey, yeah. the multiple tackles in the the Fiji Wales game. Like, if you are, like, and I'm, <laughs> the point I made before was, if you're going to go to this microcosm of ultra, ultra detail you have to get it right I'm not actually that bothered about that uh-huh. like now now I thought I would be that bothered yep. but now if it's going to be an on-field decision with a ref where things get things are made incorrectly I'm okay with that but you've got to make everything everything have the 50-50 chance of being incorrect you can't do what we're doing which is certain things get under the magnifying glass mm-hmm. and get called Right or wrong, and scrutinise the nth degree, and given red cards, mm-hmm. but the same offences, yep, that so, are almost identical, are not looked so at. Tim, so Phil, if I was Tim now, I would say that's a really interesting point, Tim. Uh, uh, Phil, uh, and if I wanted to move on, he would say, um, "Well, it's an interesting debate. You've got some great thoughts. I'm sure that debate will rumble on." <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure it will rumble on. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will rumble I'm, on. I'm going to get off my high horse now. Perfect. Thank you, Tim, for so, for correcting yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, for in, interjecting there. Yeah. Now we could talk about the games today. We could talk about the results and the scores and who did what. But actually, I want to talk about a slightly different tangent, not really related to the games. But what did we learn from one of the games in particular? And that would be South Africa versus Romania. Well, no one thought we'd be talking about this one because it's absolutely <laughs> washout. Well, but well, here's what I want to talk about. Yeah, so uh, let's just set this up. Last week, Ireland beat Romania by seventy points. Yeah. This week, South Africa beat Romania by seventy points. What can we learn? Well, I'm glad you asked. It is the potential genius of the South African squad selection. The four scrum halves. The four scrum halves. That Malcolm Mark sadly has departed the World Cup, which, which is, a is massive blow for everyone who loves uh, rugby. Yeah, yeah. Malcolm, um, Malcolm Marks is one, one of the, the premier three, players on the planet. He's one of the three best hookers on the planet, and he is more than a hooker because yeah. he can do absolutely everything. So, 
what I love about the South Africa team is they just don't really care very much. <laughs> it's like they've, be, they've given... It's like they don't know anything about rugby and they've been given all these players and they're just picking based on what they think rather than perceived wisdom. So if you know your stuff, sometimes you say, maybe you don't take four scrum halves. Maybe you need more than, more than, more than one fly half. But I love the fact <laughs> maybe, that... Maybe you don't have four scrum halves on, in your 23. Yes, maybe <laughs> you don't do that. But they seem just to be picking the players that work for them based on what they want to do. And I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. I, I love it as well. Maybe, maybe you don't play seven forwards on the bench. Or maybe you do and you smash the All Blacks. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's gone from 6-1, uh, sorry, 6-2 to 7-1. Yeah. Because it works for them. And back to a 5-3, of which two of the bench this week were scrum halves, to complement two of the starting 15 you know, I just wonder if... I wonder if some of the other Tier 1 nations are going to step back and look at South Africa and think, maybe we should just pick our best players. <laughs> no. Like, they, they, I know this sounds ridiculous. No. Why don't we just pick JB, the most talented JB, players that we you, have? You are nuts. You're and, absolutely crazy. And you know, something which I've been talking about for a long time is... Positional flexibility. Like, this is a big thing at lower-level rugby. So I kind of get why you might think that the game evolves differently at the high level, where you have, you know, you become a specialist and you're so good and those extra 2% of what you do really matters. But I guess outside of the set piece, you're just playing rugby. So today we saw the interesting spectacle of the two sevens, well, a guy wearing six and a guy wearing seven, both playing hooker. In place of Benombo, say his name again. Benongi, Benongi, uh, Benombi Umbenombi. Yeah, him. Right. Benombi um, Umbenombi. Dion and oh, the guy who used to be at Leicester but is no longer at Leicester. Uh, Van Staden. Van, uh, Marco Van Staden. Yeah. They were both throwing in. Uh, the, uh, I think, uh, well, Marco Van Staden definitely scrimmaged at Hooker. This is really valuable. It's valuable for a few reasons. It shows everybody in the world that plays rugby that you don't need to be a front row necessarily to play front row. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that these guys haven't worked on it or they're no good. It just means that, look, positional flexibility is possible. It's a great message to be sending to, lo- to low-level lo- low rugby. To low-level, it's, it's an amazing it's a message. huge message because the number of games that have been put in jeopardy or even called off because a team can't field a front row, Yeah. When and this is a point that you've made for years and years and years and years, you just need to push. You just need to just bend push. over and push. Like, like, you don't need to be some superhero. Just bend over and push. Yeah, Marco Van Staden, in another world, could be a hooker. Look at him. Dion Fareed could be a hooker. Like, there's nothing intrinsically well, back rowy about them. Like, well, they just happen to play there. Look at... I imagine... Uh, and this is a point you've made. The the um, weight regime that, for example, say, Billy Van Versus Mako Vunapula. The weight <laughs> regime that the, the two of those boys have been on over the last 15 years as professional rugby players and uh, delete Billy Vunapula and put any international back row. Put Carl Ferns in there. Put Jasper Visa in there. Put anyone in there. And the weight regime, the training regime is basically the same. Yeah, you could, it is. Could, it is. There, there is... There is some skill to it, but it's not the the differential that people have held it to be. No, no. So uh, that's really good. Seeing uh, Grant Williams on the wing, uh, he's just magnificent. He's they, so fast. They can move Caden Moody about. You know, oh, they've only got one fly off. Oh, except for uh, uh, Wilhelmser, who can play everywhere because he's amazing. Just you know, it just makes com- it's just common sense, isn't it? Play your best players. Now there is a little bit of that, I guess, with the All Blacks who move the, the um, like Bowden Barrett about a bit. Bowden, Nothing and, to this and extent. D Mac, 
Uh, D-Mac, yeah. And, uh, I mean, they're, they're starting centres for the All Blacks, Jordy Barrett and Rico Iwani. Mm. They ha- have and do swap around. Uh, they can play right across the back line. So there is... They're, they're not alone, um, but... Certainly in the Northern Hemisphere. It just makes you think, though, doesn't it? Like, what opportunities is rugby missing as a sport? So, if you've got the ability to switch out a traditional front row with something a little bit more dynamic because you're winning the scrum, well, why not? Like, we might, we might have, we might have <sighs> an enormous fish on the end of our fishing line, JB. Then, uh, well, we'll just have a look, see if Tim has joined us. An enormous, he'll elegant... He'll be amazed and horrified we've not spoken about England yet. Elega- the well, only thing that's important is England. We've been saving it for him. An enormous, elegant Headphones fish. On, Headphones on, or you're not going to be able to hear him. Got him. I mean, I'm one step ahead. Tim Cocker? Tim, Tim Hello. Cocker. I don't know if you're going to be horrified or if you're going to be happy that we've not spoken about England yet in a 40-minute podcast. So, we've done the Romanians in detail. <laughs> we've done, um, what else have we done? We've done... Uh, Portuguese. We've done Ireland, Fiji, Australia, Romania, Namibia, Uruguay, Chile, and we were saving England for your arrival, Tim Cocker. Now, Tim, just before you interject, I'll finish off my story. So, Bowden, right? Bo- uh, Bo- <laughs> Bowden Barrett. No, come on. Come on! <laughs> no, no, no. We're just going to do Bowden Ultrigum. We're just going to do Bowden uh, uh, and then uh, and then you're up, yeah. <laughs> do you know what? We'll talk about Bowden right afterwards. Yeah, yeah. When Tim Dow's out. So, Tim, how are you, Tim? Tim, were you at the game? I'm at the stadium right now. I'm looking at the groundsman forking the pitch. Well, well, how was it? I guess you were you were there on the ground. What was it like? The England fans tried their very best to muster some atmosphere. Uh-huh. They did. They were very committed to that. The Japanese fans were great, but I think underwhelmed is how I feel. And I've disappointed more after last week that there wasn't another step taken forward. Um, but then I, I also, with how low my expectations were, I almost, it's the same as Wales. I'm almost kind of thinking, which is what I said yesterday about Wales. Well, they got five points. That's something. Yes, I think that's probably a good way to look at it because you did get that fourth try and that was important. Yeah. The four tries and a win and keep stepping forward. And I'm I'm kind of the opinion that you don't need to play too much flair rugby in order to progress in a World Cup. You need to win the knockout games. Yeah. And England played a, again, limited game plan that will probably suit... Knockout rugby. Well, I would not there, were two, there were two very distinct opinions. I've just just been out chatting with some fans, and there were two very distinct opinions. There was one opinion, much like yours, Phil, which is it's a win, and I'd take winning the World Cup really ugly. So you know, let's just be happy with a win and take it and move on and try and build. The other opinion was, I don't believe we're going to win the World Cup, and so I'd rather lose going out swinging. Yeah. So for the record. I don't think we're going to win the World Cup. But I think we've got a better chance of progressing doing what we're doing than going out swinging. So yeah. I'm, I'm, for that reason, I'm okay with it. Yeah, well, I'd say, well, England today made Japan look like a very good team. 
until the very end, Japan looked like a very, very good team. Their scrum was solid. Their line-out work was pretty good, except for when Courtney interjected at times. But Big courts. The- when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This part was good, and I think that their open field running, their attacking play in open field, the way they can create fast ball is night and day different to England, who seem to just struggle to get the momentum. That, that's a big takeaway for me. They oh, and the, on the flip the side, there's clearly some, some work's been going on on the training ground. That that Joe Marler headbutt move is inspired. <laughs> <laughs> you never saw that coming. <laughs> loved it. Absolutely loved it. Well, that, that is a, So the, the quick ball, JB, is a great point. And I, I just think it's a... England are not trying... Like when, when you watch Ireland, when they're going for it, they are trying to create... They're actively trying yeah, to create you, quick ball. England are actively trying to slow down the ball. It's it's yeah. just... I'm sure they could do it if they wanted to. They just have no there interest was, in you know doing what? it. There was a perfect example of that. So, that, again, this is one of the one of the aspects that you, I get to see from... So I was literally in the back row of the whole stadium. And there was one moment where a massive groan from the crowd went in when Alex Mitchell, just inside the Japanese half, yeah. kicked a ball um, and, it, and it just trickled down to the Japanese player who then cleared it back. And the, the crowd moaned at Alex Mitchell on the face of it. You sort of go, oh, well, that was a real... Well, what did you do that for? However, the perspective I had was I looked right across the pitch and all of the England players who were having to jog to get back on side um, behind where Alex Mitchell was were doing exactly that. They were jogging. They were ambling. There was no urgency to get in a position to cause any kind of attacking threat, almost as if, oh, well, it's going to be a kick, so I, I don't really need to. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what we mean. They, they at least understand the game that plan that's going to be played, yeah. which, which is a limited game plan. I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but when I watch Ireland, like Phil says... They seem to have a process that they go through as to how they generate the next ruck and then the next play, and it gets gradually quicker and quicker and quicker. England just do not have that. They either don't practice for it, they, they don't train for it. They don't they, want to. They, don't, they, they, yeah. they actively don't want they, they occasionally, on turnover ball, they'll play quite wide. And then at that moment, that specific moment in time, they'll want quite a quick ruck. Other than that, they do not want it. They want Rook in order to get good position to box kick the ball, in order to get a kick chase, in order to put pressure on, on the opposition. That That is it. That And it's that limited game plan, which is fine. Which, once you know it, if you're expecting a team to play wide, you're going to be disappointed. 
Yeah. But once you know it, it it means that you should at least have an arm wrestle to be in the game with 20 minutes to go. Yeah, I mean, go, go on, Tim. No, I wasn't going to say anything. I'm just listening. It's fine. You carry on. Oh, sorry. Your line was sort of bubbling along in the background there. Um, yeah, the problem is they're not even very good at the game plan. I mean, that's what really well, bothers me. They were, they were very good last week at the game plan, at playing that precisely limited game plan, putting pressure on the opposition, getting territory. Um, this week, they were adequate. They were good enough. They scored four tries. They conceded zero tries. They conceded 12 points, all of which were, were kicks, which I think they'll be very happy with. Like This is not a game plan to uh, make rugby... Um, kind of newbies swoon over their no, coast-to-coast game. This is a game plan to try and give themselves a shot of being competitive and within the game with 20 minutes to go. And, is, and they've done that successfully the last two weeks. Here's a question for you. Why do we not see Theo Dan earlier in the game? Great question. Why did we not see him earlier in... Uh, the pre-season games or the, the pre-tournament warm-up games because if something happens to Jamie George well all of England's eggs are in a literal Jamie George shaped oh. basket yeah. and if that basket gets cracked or crushed for some reason or red carded or red carded um, that's, it's, that's all we needed tonight we needed someone to take one for the team and take it, get a red card and we would have been alright <laughs> it would have been, been 50 points big win well, uh, well so other than the red card, this this is an in, interesting point of England the last two weeks. Other than the Tom Curry red card, and Tom Curry, heinous crime. The Steve Diamond has taught him everything he knows. He's he's a he's a wrong one. We all know that. <laughs> but other than that, England conceded seven penalties last week and yeah. six, six penalties this week. That's remarkably low. It's remarkably low. It really is. Like England for the past few years, have been double digits in a half double digits. So for for seven and six across um, 160 minutes, that is remarkable. And if they keep that up, keep the the discipline up, combined with that limited kicking, kick chase, trying territory, try and put pressure on the opposition's um, kick receipt and rook clearance... It's. I am not saying England are going to win a World Cup, but it's not a bad strategy but, when you've yeah. got a new team, when you're playing limited game plan. Well, there are some things that you look out for, I think. And if I'm not going to go down the controversial statement of saying there may be green shoots, right? <laughs> but that, I mean, that is a great basis to start from. If you can be disciplined, you can also afford to be quite bad and hope it, you know, that it picks up. Discipline in rugby is so, so important. Well, just, just be bad. Um, in the opposition's 22 or near the opposition's 22 you can be as bad as you want you've got to be really bad to concede a try from the opposition's 22 (laughs) and sometimes they are that bad in fact (laughs) but they are disciplined England have shown multiple times they can be that bad but hopefully they get their act together this time because they look like a worse less cohesive unit than Japan for for the most part of this game Yeah, yeah yeah but they've done okay yeah agreed yeah sorry I'm just moving out of someone's way um, yeah yeah and it, I keep coming back to the five points I just think that, so there's something else at play here which I can't get out of my head which is I, I don't believe we're going to win the World Cup and 
I know I love rugby and I know I, I know rugby's in a really bad way. And therefore I almost feel like there is a duty and I, what, well, again, this is the question. What is the duty of a, of a rugby team and a coach? Steve Borthwick's jo- only job is to win rugby matches. Yep. And yep. They, they hired him knowing exactly what he would do. And he probably told them what he would do. And he's doing exactly what we expected. So I'm not surprised. But here we are at a Rugby World Cup. And I know that my family, my kids and wife sat down to watch that game. And they, they got a takeout and thought they'd sit down and... That never happens in our house. It's always just me, maybe me and me and my son. And I, I haven't spoken to them, but I cannot imagine there will be much appetite to do that again. <laughs> and I know that isn't Steve Borthwick's job, but in mind that England can win a World Cup. I think there. Is, I can't help thinking there's an element of responsibility to be a custodian of the game in that sense, and that that doesn't fit with professional sport and individual philosophies. But what, what do you what do you think of that? I think that you make a valid point about the entertainment value of rugby. But I always come back to this. It's like the box kick, right? So the box kick has to go because it's you know a heinous crime, as does a caterpillar. But the best people to make en- to make entertaining rugby, believe it or not, is rugby players and coaches. So if you just leave the rules as it is, they will eventually figure out a way to score points and a way to make it exciting. The example I always give is the box kick is awful. Yeah, it's awful, and then you know, someone worked on how, how to defend it, and then they do this little thing where they throw it to the 10, and then he kicks to the other side, and that's exciting. So just let the game evolve naturally. And I think what you're saying is partly a product of Steve Borthwick wanting to win, but also partly a, a product of... Um, the continual tinkering of the laws and you know, coaches trying to go for the safest option, you know, sort of base level rugby. Just leave leave them up, leave them to it, and eventually they will do something. And one thing Phil said is, if you expect it, there are all sorts of ways to play different sort of sports. And if you just acknowledge that the team that you're watching are based around great defence, great discipline, and a bit of brutality, you can start to celebrate that eventually. But it's that team identity that needs to be um, di- discovered and then and then celebrated. Yeah, and uh, so I, no one here would say France and New Zealand are boring teams, but uh, England kicked forty-two times today. Uh-huh. I think in the France-New Zealand the opening game, I think New Zealand kicked thirty-nine times and France kicked forty-four, so yeah. basically the same number of times. And so it's not, it's not just that England are a boring team it's there. there's an element of like gamesmanship about this and there's an element of making the the basics the boring interesting yeah like yes. if if the the kick chase is seen as an opportunity to put pressure on the opposition and therefore win penalties and therefore win scoring opportunities it's very different to Oh no! Just another, another kick. just another kick. Contestable and kicks are super exciting. Yeah, they, this is this is a way to win rugby matches, and that is the primary thing. Like, that is what Steve Borthwick is employed to do, and this is the best he can do with the team that he's got. And do you know what? There the are there are some boring elements of of England, but they're boring because they're rubbish. There are guys in that team. Who actually are exciting. I, I was watching Alex Mitchell today. Yes, he kicked that ball away. But when he's actually trying to move the ball, you can see the endeavour in that lad. And that's exciting. Ben Earl is another one. Lewis Ludlam is another one. Lovely, you know, lovely. Yeah. Yeah, there are lads who are actually trying to make thing trying to make things happen. I suspect, and I hate saying this because I've said England are rubbish a lot of times, 
I think they're going to turn a corner. I've just got this sneaky feeling they're about to turn a corner based on their discipline and lads like Alex Mitchell. Well, I, I think, and we, we've said this so many times, I think England, they're, unless something goes catastrophically wrong, they'll top their group. Yeah. They will then play either Australia or Fiji or Wales or possibly Georgia, depending on how that group goes. Yeah. And they should win that. Like playing, playing, even playing that limited game plan, they should, they should, they'll be 60, 40 favourites to win against whoever they play. But then they play either France or New Zealand or South Africa or Ireland or Scotland. One of those five teams they're going to play and they're going to get punched in the face and they're going to lose. And that that's where it all comes out. They should get to a World Cup uh, semi-final and who knows what happens. I, I just think, you know, the England line-out is going to get a lot tighter. So when they're playing their territory game and they're forcing line-outs, that is going to be the big difference. When, when they finally nail that line-out, like properly nail it, that's going to be a hell of a weapon for them. But that line-out should be... Like, I don't mean to maul it. I mean for the launch for, plays. Yeah, but they're not trying to launch plays. They're not trying to launch back backline moves. And this this line out has seen, I mean, how many times, how many thousands of times has Jamie George thrown to Mario Toji? Yeah, why is it not happening now? They play, they've played 200 games together in club and country. They must have had 20 line outs a game. Yeah, fair. That could be 2,000, 4,000 line outs. But if they get to the Leicester Tigers style of line out when they win the league... It's going to be lethal. It will be lethal. Yeah, but there was one moment which I think kind of summarised summarised it. And again, the caveat here is that they got the five points, they scored four tries, and they did open up a little bit in, in, towards the end. But there was one moment in the first half where England had really good ball, quick ball. I think it might have even been a launch play from a line-out. Manu Tuolangi ran straight into a defender and the ball was passed behind him. But you kind of like... I, I don't know what you're... Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't quite have the. I sort of don't think there's a major problem with the line out. I, I don't think the line out is is an issue. It's like how it doesn't matter how good the ball is. It's what it's the fact they can't do anything with it. Yeah, yeah. So they they choose. Talk, well, they actually choose not to do anything with it. Well, when I talk about line out, I don't mean the actual physical sort of bringing it down and mauling it. I mean using line outs as a launch play, which is exactly yeah. what Tigers were brilliant at. So it's a little bit more expanded than just saying. Line up yeah. all at school, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, that's what and that's what they're not good at. Actually, they run sideways. So, and I'll, I'll come so. back to it again. I just, I just, as he's going to be playing twelve in this team, and it will be better than than what they're capable of doing right now with Manu at twelve or Ollie Lawrence at twelve, for that matter. Ollie Lawrence, I'd go with at twelve over Faz and Manu. I just don't think they're, they're good options for twelve. <laughs> it's clearly like all, all game plan stuff because. What would Joe Marchant do if he had even a sniff at a two-on-one in the 15-metre channel? He would... He would third form, of the way, uh, with one-third of the pitch left in front of him. He would and he was putting a Queen's jersey on. He'd form a ruck and wait for Danny Kerr to box-kick it. Hit deck just before contact. Yeah, that's contact. what he would do. Well, he, I've, never, I've never seen Joe Marchant in that position. With it. Like, it might have been two-on-two, two, but it was almost a two-on-one. He could have cr- potentially created a two-on-one, and he was just outside the Japanese 22. And he nudged it through. He did a grubber kick straight into touch. Tactics, like, yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. It's tactic because that's Joe Marchant doing that. And yeah. if it, yeah, I just I just kind of don't see the point of having him out on the field. If you want to play like that, put Faz on the field. So one question I've got for you, Tim: uh, How hot was it in the stadium? Because both both sets of uh, 
players just could not keep hold of the ball, it seemed like. There were so uh, many basic, basic knock-ons from both sides. Lots of basic errors. Now, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's excessively hot at all. It's, you know, it, it's probably about 20, 20, 20 degrees right now, something like that. That's just a guess. Um, it would have been a little warmer during the game, but not not hot by any stretch. Yeah, and it shouldn't be that bad. No, no, and I but I did hear I did hear Steve Borthwick in the press conference, um, which was going out on the TV in the media room. I did hear him talking about they dealt with the conditions, and so I don't know if there's anything in it that I'm not aware of. Maybe there is a level of humidity that's affecting the ball, but I mean, it, it won't be any worse than Japan. No, well, it would be significantly better than Japan. I would, I would suggest. Yeah, well, both teams are playing in it, and yeah, I am absolutely certain from us being in Japan, where it was mid thirties and ninety percent humidity. It, it yeah. is not that. No, it's nothing France. like that. Yeah, nothing yeah. like that. Now, before we do talk about a team that are different tactically to um, how we expect, can I just draw our attention to the absolutely ludicrous? Land Rover adverts, which have polluted the World Cup. The uh, Defender adverts. The Defender. Uh, why is it that this Defender has to basically haul a homosexual lump of metal around France? <laughs> like, what is the point of this? So, the, the, uh, they've made a statue of a gay man, all very well. A gay man that, from what I can tell, has never Hold actually... Contra- Sorry, please. You know, I was going to say, because I haven't seen this, because I've been blissfully unaware, just like I wish four years ago I was with you guys in Japan <laughs> and I didn't have to listen to Paloma Faith. Oh, yes. that was 2015, wasn't it, Paloma Faith? Well, but it, it was. The, was yeah. yeah. So, version of World in Union. That's the worst. So, Landro, That is the worst. Do you want to massive No, no, no. What was it? The question I was going to ask was, how can you make... I don't understand how you can make a statue of a gay man, because, like... What what is the characteristic that means you can look at a statue and go, that's a gay man? I, I have no idea. But this gay man in France is very important. He set up the first gay team, and therefore you have to make a statue of him. Oh, I see. So it's, it's explained that he is... Who oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I was confused. They've, they, they've not carved... I'm thinking they go in with, like, real stereotypes here or something. No, 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 they, no, no, no. <laughs> they, they've not carved him to, like, Freddie Mercury holding a rugby ball. Like, that, 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 that isn't what's going on. <laughs> Although that would be, yeah, that would be quite good. It'd be instantly recognisable as what it is. No, this is just a normal man in rugby gear who is gay... They've carved him into a statue, and they drag the homosexual statue around France on the back of a Land Rover because apparently this is essential. This is why you buy a Discovery. However, uh, defender, defender, defender. Sorry. However, however, there's a second version of this advert, and this version of the advert is a kid with no left forearm. Oh, right? I've not seen this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the other one is this poor kid, no left forearm. So it's a gay man. Uh, do they equate being gay with not having an arm? Is it like a disability to Land Rover? Is this what they're trying to tell us? Like, um, you're very important. In fact, you're so important and special. We think being gay is the same as being disabled. Here's a statue. Let's drag it around with our defender. So, uh, what, d- d- what, did, what did this man? What did did this man do? Something significant? Was he? Was he a pioneer in some way? Did he break down a? Oh, they're all pioneers, Tim. They're all. They're all. No, no, pioneers. But, he, I, but I bet you he probably did. Did he do something significant to? Except the first gay team in France. Yeah. So. So according to the text, okay. he said right. that so the equivalent of the King's Cross Steelers like or the Manchester by Spartans. Way. By the way, a wonderful it's achievement. A, it is a great thing to do. For the Bingham Cup. But you know, if Land Rover do, if, if Land Rover are serious about their equality goals, why don't they go and put the same amount of money into the Bingham Cup? 
It, or maybe the, is maybe it nothing do? to do with equality and everything to do with more and everything to do with <laughs> cynical cynical marketing? Selling hundred thousand pound defenders. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, about selling hundred. Because if they were if serious about equality, take that money, go and sponsor the Bingham Cup. That that would be wonderful. Great thing to do. Now, from what I can tell, neither the kid with the missing arm or the gay man have played a single second of World Cup rugby. <laughs> They've not contributed one second of memories to World Cup rugby, except for being immortalised in statues to be dragged around by £100,000 defenders. Enormous, that, enormous solid lumps of steel. Yeah, but such an ama- such an amazing message for everyone at home to see. Ram down your throat continuously. <laughs> um, what, was the, what did I get angry about the other day? On Friday night, the uh, no, no Thursday night, not even Friday. Night, I couldn't even save my anger until the Friday. On Thursday night, I got a little bit angry because uh, the uh, Taufifinua y- uh, bunker yellow card that got stayed as a yellow card. Yeah. When it was discussed, I didn't actually listen to the halftime comms, but when it was discussed post match, um, Miguel Fonzi and. Uh, friend of the podcast, Gareth Thomas. Icon and role model, Gareth Thomas. I, I, sorry, yes. Friend of the podcast, icon and role model, Gareth Thomas. We're discussing <laughs> it afterwards, and at no point did either of them, like, they, they both kind of like nodded along and like agreed with the fact that it, yes, it should have been a yellow card. Um, at neither point did either of them ever entertain the fact that uh, whether you think it's right or wrong, World Rugby's own laws and own directive on the high tackle um, head contact framework states that an always illegal tackle can never be mitigated down when the uh, Taufifinua was always a tucked arm that never attempted a rap, therefore never could have been mitigated down, and yet they both made the the uh, plea, the example that it should and it was right to yeah. have been mitigated down. Do you know, which is the lay is is this lazy nodding through whatever carrying done water, carrying yeah. water. Yeah. It, it just, does feel oh, a bit like that. So yeah, one of the things that they did, right? I know exactly what you're talking about, Phil. Because one of the things that they did was they came out at half-time with, do you know what, I'm going to defend... Was it Matt Carley in charge? Uh, no, I... Matt Carley was stepped down this week, wasn't he? He did last weekend... Was it Paul he... Williams? Was it Paul Williams or was it Ben O'Keefe? Ben, ben O'Keefe. O'Keefe. Ben O'Keefe yeah. was O'Keefe. the... Uh, yeah, it was Ben O'Keefe. Yeah. It was Ben said, O'Keefe. I'm going to yeah, defend yeah. Ben O'Keefe. Now, to be honest, when they said that, that jarred with me because I thought he's had a good game. Like, it's not having a bad game. So I, I thought Ben O'Keefe, overall, but this is this was my point before about the bunker, which is he just discharged that decision to yeah. someone who is less qualified than him. Yeah, because as soon as he, as soon as he deems it meets the yellow card threshold, off he, it goes. He then does not consider yeah, the mitigating yeah, 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 factors, yeah, yeah. and that's you are stepping down something for someone who is has met the hierarchical threshold to someone who has not met the hierarchical threshold. Yes, it's so, a nonsense. Just on this one, okay. So, um, do you know how you know a commentary team is not very good? Like this is a, a legitimate thing. There's a few reasons, but go on. But this is one of them, right? They were saying Ben O'Keefe has done a, a marvelous job of explaining his decision there, and they just parrot the decision of the ref. Now, a good commentary team would say 
Like, Austin Healy would have no truck with that. Would he'd challenge go, it. He'd go, well, that's the wrong decision. It doesn't matter that he's explained it. It doesn't matter that he's explained the wrong decision. It's the wrong decision. Or he Austin would actually he- say, yes, he's come to the right decision, but he's explained it in the wrong wan- manner. Yes. Like, he's somehow got the the wrong words in the right order to end up at the right decision. Yeah, Austin Healy would absolutely nail that left, right, uh, left, right and centre. When you've got a bad comms team, all they do is they just repeat stuff which they've heard before. Uh, so if the ref is saying, yeah, he didn't roll away, he, said, oh, he explained it nice and clearly, but he did roll away, or he, he, he did rejoin the ruck, or he did rejoin them all, or whatever the thing is that you see as a commentator, you you, you should be challenging that. Don't just parrot the referee. I'd say, not, I'd say not the comment, it's not the commentator's job to do that, but I know what you mean, the people in Sorry, the commentary team. Sorry, um, the analyst, yeah. the analyst is what I meant. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing the analyst did the other day was, I think it was since of... I can't remember which game it was, but someone had just scored the like the supposed better team. I said, "Well, they'll just open up here, and then you know it'll it, it it will all be over." And it didn't happen. It was just lazy commentary. Like we do need better analysts, much much better analysts. People have done this before on a regular basis because some of the guys that they're wheeling out are dreadful. They're legitimately dreadful. Last thing, last thing on Gareth Thomas. Yes, please. I'm going to take. A completely different tone towards Gareth Thomas from now on. I, I've been disgusted about his involvement, but now I'm going to be incredibly pro Gareth Thomas and use him as a, as an actual role model. Look what can be achieved with like just bare faced, just bare faced di- dishonesty. He should be a hero to all villains. I actually want him to be on everything now. <laughs> if I if I take the counter, so the only reason he exists, right, is because he is basically counter to all the things that things that I believe. But if I recruit him onto my team in order to demonstrate what can be possible if you just lie and do all the wrong things in life, I think that, I think I think that's I think that's the way that we should go. More Gareth Thomas on everything, please. But he's he's not. He's, he's a role model to me as to how to get away with everything. He's not even if if he was like an Austin Healy, like sees things differently and can can give a a different perspective onto. What do you mean? He's a gay man. It's the only perspective he needs. <laughs> he he is he is like objectively a bad pundit. Absolutely. And then hey, you have if all you want, this extra baggage. If you want a man who can look at a situation and tell you how to get away with absolutely anything in that <laughs> situation, Gareth Thomas is the man that you want, right? Now, it just it's, he's the perfect antidote to boring TV. <laughs> how to get away with everything? That's that. That's the man. Can I, make, can I make a point on the um, on the bunker system and, and the cards and stuff that's that seems to be coming to light as far as I can see? Please, yes. Which I, which which is which is maybe restricting the ability of the analyst to call a spade a spade when it's when it's right to do so. And I do th- I do agree with you, Phil, on the strength of the footage that was shown. The Roman Tau for Fenua, If I were an analyst, I'd be saying that 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 is not following the framework that is there to govern these incidents yes but this also happened with the jesse creel situation with south africa now i haven't seen this supposed other footage which clearly shows apparently and i'll I'll, I'll take it at face value from many people that have said this apparently there's another angle which shows that the first contact from jesse creel was on the ball not on the on the shoulder or, or neck or head much like I would point out Owen Farrell's tackle on Andre Esterhazen back in 2018, mm. by the way. Yes. But anyway, 
Um, but apparently there is an angle which was not shown on the television, which has come out subsequently. And it appears maybe the same thing has happened because the morning after the France-Uruguay game, a photograph was posted by World Rugby along with a statement for the reason why it was not mitigated down because I think they probably saw, oh, this looks very Owen Farrell, but treating it very, very differently. Yeah. Um, and so they, they found a photograph which, or it may have been from a TV angle, I don't know. But the point being is there is obviously other evidence which is available, which is not being used, which brings me to the point where I think there are people on the broadcasting of some of these games who don't know the sport of rugby because the the ability in the time we have to get good replays of the bits that you would want, is it doesn't seem to be happening in a lot of cases. And I wonder if that is, and, and that is just further exacerbating the point you're making, Phil, which is you've got, le- you've got lesser qualified people with inadequate evidence making decisions. Uh, so, yeah. We've so, already done 20 minutes on this, so I must, uh, no, I must hurry you up. I, I completely yeah. agree with that. And I think if World Rugby actually want to do something positive, every time there is a uh, appeal process or a judicial panel um, held, they should release the additional footage. Like on the the panel that uh, changed the Owen Farrell decision first time around, before it got appealed by World Rugby themselves, they saw footage that we did not see. Just make that footage available. Like, allow us to see what other people are seeing. Don't just hide it behind this curtain because it feels like something dodgy is going on, even if perhaps it's not. Yeah. Anyway, end of that point. I've got to get some um, stuff sent over um, to TalkSport. I'm, I'm on the radio in about six hours and I've got to go and grab the bus in about half an hour to get myself back into town. So... Um, I'm, I'm going to have to go and do a little bit of work, and if you're still going, I'll jump back on once I've got the thing sent over, if that's all right. You well, go for it, mate. I, th- I think we're going to wrap up, because I'm going to head home okay, cool. just about now. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, hopefully, you talked about, hopefully you, you, if you haven't already, you're going to talk about how fun Fiji are. Yes, uh, so we're going to do Fiji right now for five minutes. Okay. Yes, brilliant. So, what happened last time? Uh, when was last time that Fiji beat Australia? Uh, a while ago. Do you know precisely when it was? I'm pretty sure it was 1956. Oh, amazing. Which is quite something. Lovely. Um, this was amazing. This was... Uh, you wanted a, an upset, well, we finally got one. And it tells me one thing about Australia, two things about Australia. One, they've got horrible discipline. Two, they are very reliant on two players and they were not available today and this caused them all manner of problems. Will Skelton and... Your big prop, whose name escapes me? Uh, Taniela Tupu. Tupu. Both of them are not available. Both made an absolute huge, huge difference. It also tells me that Fiji are a legit rugby team in many, many ways. Lavani Bottia, some of his turnovers today were world class. He's amazing. Uh, yeah. He is such a good player. And and to think that what was he, wore, he was wearing seven today, but he yep. could legitimately have been wearing 12 today. Yep. And played just as well, to your point before, about um, uh, utility players. Yeah. Players did. playing in multiple different positions. Yeah, uh, this team looks bloody dangerous. Uh, they were better than Australia throughout the entire game in every single aspect of the sport. Yeah. every They're better in the scrum. They're better in the line-out. They're better defensively. They could turn over the ball. They could run it better. They were just better than Australia in every single way. 
That's going to be hard for Australia to listen to, but there's no other way to describe what happened today. At one point, towards the end, about 80 minutes, they got into a kicking kicking battle, which you would expect a team like Australia to win. Fiji won it comfortably. It wasn't even close. They made very good decisions throughout the entire game. And then, of course, they can back it up with the fact that they have mutants playing for them, like Joshua Tuasoba. <laughs> or uh, Naya Salevu. Oh, my word. Or Lavani Botia. Yep, or, or indeed. Albert uh, Tuasubi. Or uh, uh, Valama Mata. Or Semi Randrandra. Yes, who did very Semi Randrandra things today. He dropped the ball, he knocked it on a few times, <laughs> but he did carry hard. He carries hard and he beats defenders. Yeah, he does. He does those things. Now, we can, can everyone just admit I was right on on this fella? I am right on this fella, aren't I? Just, everyone admit, just admit it. It depends what point you're making, because you make two distinct points at different times. He's not very good at, at rugby. Well, he's not very good at rugby. Not, <laughs> no, no. He's not as good at rugby as people say. He's not worth the money. He's vastly overvalued. So, so that that point, the is he worth a million pounds a year or whatever Bristol was paying for him? No. No. And no, almost no one is worth a million pounds a year. Charles Ma- Pietau is. Maybe Charles, even Charles Pietau. Maybe, uh, maybe Taniela Tupu. Maybe, um... Skelton probably is. Maybe Will, Ske- Will Skelton is one of the few players. Maybe, uh, the South African tight head, whose name escapes me right now. Yeah, I mean, look, your number eight like, who plays on the wing and sen- uh, wing and centre is not worth a million quid. He'd be a great number eight for someone. Like, legitimately. Uh, he's enormous. Yeah. He's very strong, he beats defenders, but he only runs in one dimension. He only runs straight at and over people. I, why? Like People got so carried away with him. He's going to light at the Premiership, he's going to be the best thing ever to play in the Premiership. It's going to be amazing. He was good, sometimes, at certain things. Um, yeah, <laughs> look, if you want a guy to carry, that's it. If you want volume, he would actually be really good with, a, with volumes of carries from the back row. But if you want him to have one intervention, a critical intervention to f- finish a try, this is categorically not the right man to be on the wing. <laughs> so um, I've got the history of Australia and Fiji rugby in front of me now. Yes. They first played in 1952 on the Sydney Cricket Ground. Australia won. And then Fiji won two out of the next three. So come uh, June 1954... Fiji have won 50% of the encounters, uh, two out of four. Following June 1954, again at the Sydney Cricket Ground, Australia won every single encounter apart from one draw until the 23rd encounter, 17th of September 2023, this time around, when Fiji won. Amazing stuff. So you have to go back to 1954. For no. the last time that uh, Fiji beat Australia in if, rugby. If Australia see Fiji again, maybe the final or something, if they're both lucky enough to qualify. <laughs> um, maybe. Who their knows? Be- the best chance of beating Fiji is to lobby for a cut in their funding. <laughs> that is the only way to beat Fiji for Australia. Oh, love seeing Fiji win. And this blows that... So I didn't... I thought... Genuinely, I thought that Australia were going to walk this group. Yeah. I thought once... They, so they won once Wales beat Fiji... I thought Australia were going to win, Wales were going to come second. I don't think this, Wales, this has blown think, it wide, yeah. wide open. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Wales are happy with this result. Wales, Wales I'm not sure Wales are qualified now because I'm not sure Wales can beat Fiji. 
I'm no, not even no, sure. no, no, no. They have no, beaten sorry, Fiji. Sorry, I'm not sure Wales can beat Australia. Yeah. I'm not even sure Wales can beat Georgia. Yeah. The only team I'm confident in Wales beating is Portugal. But I'm not sure Fiji will beat Georgia. I'm not sure Fiji will beat Georgia. Georgia are a hell of a team. And actually, Portugal could beat Georgia, I think. <laughs> I, th- I think Wales made Portugal look good. Although I did my favourite moment of all the rugby I've watched in the last few days, which has been a lot, was that Portugal try. Yeah. That Portugal try, the little sneaky line-out move, was a thing of beauty. I'm just trying to think of anything good for Australia, and there is one thing good for Australia. That is Rob Volantini, who really put his hand up. Bobby V. Bobby V is Bobby an v. baller. And he was defending most of the time. He was hitting everything that moved. I like him. I like him. And that is all I can say positive about Australia. Is there anything, anything you want to like say? Uh, uh, Nasi, uh if I've said that right, which yeah. I probably haven't. He's a lovely player when he gets ball in hand. Other than that, not really. Um, Jordan Pataki can kick it very far. Yeah, they, they've got some great players, but they're not a great team. No, uh, yeah, they're very, they're very shallow, aren't they? They're very shallow. I think, I think, even though England lost to Fiji uh, less than three weeks ago, or maybe three weeks ago, uh, I think England will fancy their chances playing their simplistic game plan against whoever emerges, hopefully second in this group. Which could be Australia, could be Fiji, could be Wales, could be Georgia. Could even be Portugal. Who knows? That's that's the miracle of this World Cup. This is the, yeah, the miracle is the group of death is not the group of death that we expected. (laughs) It's the group of, uh, yeah. It's uh, the, the, I don't know, whichever team is slightly weaker to make it out of the mud of this group. Or slightly stronger. Well, I... I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I was Same. Fiji all the way, and they might be my third favourite team between South Africa and France now. <laughs> you go for the big guns first. Oh, yeah, I, lo- I love how they play. And I'm looking forward to South Africa absolutely battering Ireland next week. Fiji might be my third favourite team as well. After- Eng- England first, Ireland second. So dull and predictable. <laughs> I'd- that Ireland team, so they they did make mincemeat of a very handy Tonga team. It wasn't even close. No, it wasn't, was it? They absolutely battered. And I loved some of their... It's like we talk... Like England, they have... They have no ambition to do anything fancy. But they also can't do anything fancy. That Ireland team, some of the lovely little... Like, the basic wraparounds and the balls back inside. The balls back inside for that... Like the Tyburn... Caelan Doris back inside for that Tyburn try. I think it was the first try of the game after 20 minutes. Things like they're just some beautiful lines executed perfectly, perfectly by powerful men running onto the ball at pace. Stop it! You're exciting me. It's lovely. It is great to see. Right. Well, we might reconvene tomorrow. I'm sure Tim has other things to say to us, um, which are, are vitally important, of course. Um, <laughs> always, <laughs> always. So until then, you can follow us. Um, well, wherever you, you know, just email us. I'm not. I'm not going to reply to anything on. Facebook, I haven't done for months. I, I don't, I'm not on the Twitter. I don't even have access to the Twitter anymore. Yeah, so... I do have access to the Gmail, and we get some... Some really... Belting emails. Some real... Contact eggchasers at Gmail. We get some... We might not always read them out, but... I, I have get, sent voice notes back to people that have emailed me um, just to explain things in a bit more detail, because I love the emails. The emails are where it's at. So if you want to email us, email us. Yeah. 
Other than that, I don't care. Don't do some, it. Of, some of our emails are absolutely superb, and they do, even if we don't explicitly mention you, they do come across our thinking. Yeah. Like, they are superb. So thank you very much for all our engaged um, and interested participants at that. So that is eggchasers at... Mm, contact eggchasers at gmail.com. Anyway, that's enough of that. So, film, goodbye. Goodbye, Jimmy. Um, a, a long distance goodbye from Tim and goodbye from me as well. So, bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.